So this room is to see if anyone wants to chat about Bitcoin. Um, you know, it looks it's looking pretty bad for the Bitcoiners. It looks like Bitcoin's going to break, you know, to to 20k, sorry, 20k. Uh, you know, maybe fairly soon, maybe even in the next hour, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. Uh, but we're probably breaking through 20k. And 20k is a significant level for several reasons. You know, this is the the price that, that Bitcoin reached in its December of 2017 um, high before, of course, crashing, you know, back down to earth. Uh, but this was the run up of, of late, you know, late 2017. And where are we are? Where are we now? You know, this is 2022. Uh, so Bitcoin is back to these levels. And, uh, you know, that's pretty sad. That's pretty sad. But, uh, you know, I've been keeping my, my finger on the pulse of, of what Bitcoiners are talking And, you know, they're talking about how Bitcoin is, um, Bitcoin front, they literally, I, I listened to this podcast and they said, Bitcoin, um, front run, front ran, uh, inflation. So like Bitcoin, uh, went from 3k you know, in 2020, in March of 2020, this was the initial sell-off of COVID before they stimulated. And it was at 3K, I remember this specifically, for maybe a day, maybe a week. I don't know how long it was, but it wasn't very long. So then they they said basically, uh, you should have bought in then, right? And then you could have made a lot of money and the rise to 69K, Um and that Bitcoin, you know, took off and it took off ahead of inflation because we all feel inflation now. Right. So Bitcoin took off ahead of inflation. And if you were getting in, you know, at 69K, uh, you're just too late. Like, so you were too late if you bought Bitcoin at 69K, which I think was the, the most recent high. Uh, too bad for you. Uh, ha ha. You just you got in too late. And yet. You know, these Bitcoiners, I've seen them on Twitter. I'm talking about Pierre Richard. I'm talking about Bitstein, right? They always tweet out, oh, you're still early. You're still early, right? You're still early. And yet on this last podcast of theirs, which is called Noted Podcast, um, they basically were laughing and saying, well, this is their explanation of, yeah, Bitcoin still, still front ran inflation, you just, you just, if you got in at 69K, you, you missed it, right? You missed it. You should have got in at 3K in 2020 when it was briefly down there. But I'd like this podcast to be open. I want to, I want to hear from people that um, like Bitcoin, want to challenge, challenge my ideas. Cause I'm a Bitcoin critic. I'll just put that out there. Um, now I don't, I don't like, I'm not a critic um, about everything in Bitcoin, but but most most things. So if anybody wants to call in with a question or call in and, and say I'm wrong about something, I uh, would appreciate that. I would take your call. Normally, I just rant about something. And then at the end, I'll see if somebody calls in and, and asks them if they want to join. Uh, but uh, this time I want to start off with just asking if anybody wants to to call in right now and, and ask me a question or, or bring up a topic. Um, 
So I'd love it if somebody would do that. <laughs> but I have a lot of things I could talk about. You know, it's going to be about Bitcoin. It's going to be ranting about Bitcoin, things I've seen recently. But again, yeah, if anybody wants to call in, uh, sure. Um, yeah, uh, Charlie has a question. Live chat says Charlie has a question. Um, how do I take the question? Um, I don't know if I have to invite you to speak or if you can just call in. Let's see if I can right to speak. Well, I think I invited to speak, but if not, um, somebody else can call in. Uh, if not, I guess I'll keep going until somebody does. So I'm celebrating the Bitcoin collapse. Um, I think it will collapse further. I don't want to make price predictions, but, uh, it's looking pretty weak here. Um, a lot of the Bitcoiners like Nick Carter, he's looking for a bottom. And today he tweeted out, well, I'm watching to see if the Bitcoin miners sell. And I don't know how exactly he's doing that. Um, you know, how he's tracking that. But he thinks that like, if he watches to see if the Bitcoin miners are selling, he thinks that would be a local bottom. Uh, I don't know how he tells that. Again, uh, we'll see. Um, anybody have anything to that they want to ask? <laughs> I think that, um, I think that this is definitely not a bottom because, you know, the Bitcoiners are still tweeting out, uh, you know, they're still very bullish. They don't think that you should look at the price. And I saw this article, I think it was today or yesterday in Bitcoin magazine about how, you know, it's either Bitcoin or nothing. And I, I don't remember, I don't know who this guy was, but he was talking about how Bitcoin is the only free money the only privacy money and that we should all just go down with the ship. Like we should just hodl. And if Bitcoin's going to survive, great. If it's not going to, we should just self-sacrifice. So I thought this was definitely not a philosophy that most Bitcoiners who I assume are libertarian, at least the old people are. I assume that these people are, don't, don't really subscribe to the idea of self-sacrifice, but uh, this guy Obviously, he's saying you should go down with the ship. Uh, that's clearly, you know, sacrificial. And I would just be wondering, you know, so is this guy ever going to sell on the way down? We know his name because his name, uh, he, he wrote his name down on the Bitcoin Magazine article that he wrote. And um, so, you know, if you've lost money, this is going to be a theme of mine here. If you've lost money in Bitcoin, I would be looking for someone to sue. And anyone who's ever told you to hodl or you should take one for the team or we're all a community here and, and you, you know, you need to just self-sacrifice. It's either Bitcoin or nothing. Uh, if you suspect that they've, they're actually lying to you and tell, you know, telling their community 
that they should hodl and they should never sell and they should just hold out right for the next cycle uh, for, for, you know, apparently for Bitcoin to come back, then um, if you suspect that they, they aren't actually doing what they're saying you should do, perhaps you should sue them for, for fraud, for Bitcoin fraud. Because um, a lot of people don't understand what fraud is. And in my opinion, Bitcoin has survived based off of mainly cheap money, right? Low interest rates. But on top of that, there's fraud. And fraud is something, it's like theft, but um, it's not a physical theft. Like it's not you punch somebody right and steal their stuff. It's a con. It's deceptive. You say something to them that tricks them or is a lie to convince them or induce them to buy Bitcoin, right? And you bought it. So say the fraudster, right? He bought into Bitcoin at a much lower price. And he, he benefits from inducing other people to buy. And this person who is induced, the victim... Uh, believes whatever the fraudster says and then buys Bitcoin based off of that lie or even a misrepresentation is enough for a fraud. And if you can prove that you lost money on Bitcoin based off of what, you know, the, the, the misrepresentation that say, you know, a Michael Saylor or whoever, some Bitcoin pumper, uh, based off his lies or misrepresentation, if you can prove that you bought Bitcoin and were harmed, you know, and, and obviously this Michael Saylor guy was, he, he extracted some kind of benefit because more people bought Bitcoin, uh, then you can prove fraud. And I don't think that everyone in Bitcoin is committing fraud, but I think the majority of people on Twitter that are, that are um, you know, well-known in Bitcoin, well-known influencers of Bitcoin, thought leaders, I think a lot of them are committing fraud. I'd say most of them because they're they're inducing people to buy something through misrepresentation or through a, a flat out lie. Uh, and even something like Bitcoin's going to a million dollars is a misrepresentation. Why? It could go there. I grant them that. But they have no evidence to suggest that it will. They're just throwing out numbers out of a hat. So they. Um, you can't make wild statements with no proof. That's a misrepresentation. And it doesn't matter that Bitcoin isn't a security or that it's not regulated as one right now. In my opinion, it is a security. It's no commodity. It's not a commodity. It's a security. It's just it hasn't been determined to be a security in a court of law yet. But technically, if you were to sue a Bitcoiner, like a, a prominent Bitcoiner, like a Nick Carter, Dan Held, let's see, a Saifedean, a Michael Saylor, uh, a Pierre Richard, you know, the list goes on and on, right? And that's not even to mention the companies that sell these, you know, sell Bitcoin. You can sue these people personally because they're big influencers. They have big Twitter followers. They speak at all these Bitcoin conferences. So chances are... <laughs> They've said something in the past and it's been recorded. Uh, you can sue them probably for fraud, right? And I'm not a lawyer, but the fact of the matter is this hasn't been tested yet in a court of law. So in my opinion, it's, it's just up to any lawyer or sorry, any court of law to say whether this thing is 
actually a security or not. But the security part doesn't matter, really, because what 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 um, in my opinion, securities laws exist to front run any kind of fraud. They try to prevent fraud in the market. This SEC, you know, is a regulator, and their job is to try to prevent bad actors, right, from taking advantage of people, from selling them something uh, into the market, you know, where they can just easily lie and defraud someone. So the SEC makes you register with them. They want to know what you're selling and why. You know, they want to know your name, your address, so they can contact you. They want you to to provide um, disclosures over what you're selling. And so uh, this so the Bitcoiners tend to think I can get away with anything if it's not registered as a security. That's wrong. Fraud is pervasive. Like fraud is a crime and it's a criminal. It's, it's criminal, right? It, 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 uh, you can accuse anyone of fraud and you can sue them, you know, in a, in a, in, in a civil court, you know, privately or, you know, or, you know, you can get a local prosecutor to criminally prosecute them. I think that would be more rare, but that doesn't prevent someone from civilly suing someone over fraud, right? Uh, per- privately, personally. Um, and I brought this up with with the case of HODL for a while. <laughs> I brought this up before, where anyone who's telling you to HODL, um, if they are not hodling themselves, like if they've ever sold Bitcoin in the past uh, and you suspect that, you could probably personally sue them. And basically when you sue them, you basically say to basically the judge, right? Uh, I think that they've sold Bitcoin in the past, yet they're telling everybody else to hodl the Bitcoin. They're benefiting from you not selling and if you can prove, you know, they'll look at their, their bank records to see if they've sold. And if you can prove they've sold, um, they've just committed fraud by lying to everybody else, right? Telling people to not to not sell while they have been actively selling. And I guarantee you that like a Dan Held, who constantly says HODL, it's like every other day. I think he's, he's constantly tweeting this out. And there's a bunch of other Bitcoiners that do this too. Um, I guarantee you he sold along the way or that he sold Bitcoin at some point, right? This guy lives off Bitcoin. His business is Bitcoin. He works for Kraken, which is a Bitcoin exchange. Uh, You know, he promotes all kinds of other Bitcoin products while still working at Kraken, uh, other kinds of lenders. Uh, So so this guy, I'm sure, has sold some Bitcoin. He's probably been paid in Bitcoin in the past. He's He's probably sold at some point. So if he sold at some point, yet he's screaming, you know, for you to hodl, that means he's committed fraud. Fraud because he's telling other people to do something that he's not doing himself. And that's selling Bitcoin. So uh, I also came across this. Um, I watched the first part of this this one podcast yesterday. And it was by Pierre Richard and his wife, whose name I think is Megan Richard. And she is a... Um, she's like a wealth advisor or she teaches other wealth advisors and they did an emergency podcast together where, uh, you know, they're trying to explain why Bitcoin was crashing. And I was just thinking she's ripe for being sued because 
she's like a financial advisor or she teaches other financial advisors. And she's been telling these people to buy Bitcoin, like to buy Bitcoin for, you know, this is somebody who's telling someone to buy Bitcoin in their retirement account, maybe a 401k, maybe this their own savings account. But there's lots of rules and regulations around people who advise other people on how to invest their money. Number one, you know, you have to have, you have to be licensed usually. And even if you're not, there's probably all kinds of rules of what you tell people to get into. So um, she's been telling people to get into Bitcoin, right? And, and so have, you know, his, her, her, her husband, Pierre Richard, for, you know, since at least 2013. Well, the, the husband since at least 2013. She probably a little bit later. But um, if you wanted someone to sue, uh, I suggest them. You know, it's pretty rare to see like a husband-wife team teaming up on shilling Bitcoin. And those are two that you could you could sue. Um, I think that there's going to be a lot of lawsuits. You can always sue CNBC. They're definitely biased. They only have Bitcoin pumpers on. Their advertisers, I know, are basically just crypto companies. Um, <laughs> so they're t- they're definitely biased. I think that you can pretty much pick any Bitcoin influencer out, any Bitcoin shill or pumper. Uh, and if you've lost money, you can probably sue them for fraud, um, personally. I wonder if anyone has actually done that. Uh, I think that the problem is, is that a lot of people in Bitcoin or in the crypto space don't know they've been defrauded. Um, so I think it's a matter of telling people they've been defrauded. And yes, some people have gambled in this space. So I'm not... Um, I'm not saying that they're not completely not at fault here. Uh, a lot of people think, well, I just, you know, I knew crypto was sort of a gamble. I thought I could get rich and now I'm down. Um, that may very well be the case, but, um, but you were also probably defrauded along the way. You were also basically shilled Bitcoin or other cryptos and lied to, right? You were, you were told misstatements. You were told that Bitcoin is money. Right. You were told that Bitcoin is this uh, scarce asset that's only going to go up in, in price and that you should uh, that you should buy. Uh, and you were told that this is going to allow peer to peer transactions. Right. The utility is there. The utility might be there. Right. But that's replicated by any other blockchain. So then we have leftover just the number go up piece, the, num- the money. Um, but. Uh, Bitcoin is not a commodity. Bitcoin, you can if you if you transfer Bitcoin to somebody else, there's the the fiat value of the Bitcoin, um, and that's represented in dollars since Bitcoin's priced in dollars. But that is a technology or service, not a money. Like Bitcoin allows you to transfer money, like any other technology. Uh, but without any kind of guarantee, right? Because the Bitcoin miners may not include your transaction. You may not be able to sell Bitcoin or your counterparty may not be able to sell Bitcoin for, for real dollars. The Bitcoin system or network doesn't promise that. So um, it's a technology. I always say that it's a bad technology. It's a bad service, but I, I still concede that it has that you know, part of it. But I say that that part's not rare because you can do that with any of the cryptocurrencies that currently have a a trading price, a dollar price. So the only thing you're left with is 
you know, this idea that Bitcoin is scarce, perhaps number go up, they think it's going to be a store of value. But uh, Bitcoin's price is based off just supply and demand at any one time. It's not based off anything real. There's nothing there. Uh, and this stuff is just created out of thin air. So um, how can it ever be, uh, you know, a commodity money, at least? Right. It's just like the dollar, except it doesn't have government backing to it. Let's see. Any questions? Anybody have any questions? No questions. No comments. No, no nobody wants to debate me. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, someone says the class action suits coming for board apes. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, I actually think the NFT stuff is a little bit, um, you know, if you're shilling an NFT or selling an NFT, it's usually like one of something, one of something or one or just one thing itself. So you only have to worry about the person you sold it to, like coming after you in a lawsuit. Um, uh, so just make sure they're happy. And if they sue you, then you can, um, I guess, just make them happy, right? Buy it back. But yeah, the, the board ape stuff, I think that the NFTs are also securities. I pretty much think all of this stuff securities. So the board ape stuff, like I think a lot of rich people were buying board apes or a lot of people that were already into crypto, like a lot of people that already had a lot of ETH probably because the board ape stuff, I mean, people were paying millions of dollars for most of these board apes. And so I assume that these were people who had a lot of crypto winnings uh, in the past uh, or, or they were rich celebrities already. Like, um, I don't know. There's been some celebrities that have bought these, these really expensive NFTs. So maybe they'll, maybe the, the board eight people will not have to, will not get sued. I don't know. But um, I do think that like a Matt Damon, right. He might be sued. He's, he's, uh, his ad was put out crypto world or crypto.com, right? Um, he, he, Matt, they hired Matt Damon. They first aired, uh, aired that ad October 28th. And it was, Bitcoin was like at 60,000 and Bitcoin, it went up a little bit higher, uh, from then, but it was pretty much the peak. And, um, you know, SFTX, Sam Bankman Fried's company, uh, They've hired, you know, Tom Brady and a bunch of other celebrities to show FTX. Um, and if you like, I know this is hard to see in, in the moment because you're caught up in the in the hype of Bitcoin and crypto. But um, once they get celebrities, once they're paying celebrities to buy to sorry, to sell Bitcoin and crypto, um they're basically admitting that like they're trying to get the very last people into Bitcoin or crypto because they've already got the people into Bitcoin who believe like the narrative that they're trying to sell that the fiat dollar, you know, is worthless. It's inflating, you know, that, uh, that you should not like government, right. Government spying on you that you should, uh, for all these like philosophical reasons, you're libertarian or whatever, those people were already in, you know, those people got in in like 2014, 2016, 2017. The people that got in when Matt Damon was shilling it were the people that followed Matt Damon, right? Or that saw the ad 
and just bought, decided it was cool or, or, you know, they just followed him and, and do what he says to do. And maybe it was unconscious, right? But uh, these people got in because Matt Damon told them to get in subconsciously, perhaps. So that's it. Like, who else is going to get it? Um, now, Bitcoin, right, this crypto goes in cycles. So perhaps you could have another pump, right? I'm not saying that that's impossible. But, um, but you know that you have at least a local top whenever, you know, Matt Damon is doing commercials or whether, or when you have a Super Bowl, right? We just had the Super Bowl, um, I don't know, February-ish this year. And there were like five, you know, there were half of the, half of the ads were, were crypto companies. I mean, that was also a red flag, right? That was the top, um, or that was a top. Now, there's other, been other things going on in the market, right? The Fed's been raising rates and and that, you know, inflation's been going up, but the Fed is still technically expanding its balance sheet. They're still buying bonds and to buy bonds, they have to just create dollars out of thin air. So Bitcoin is collapsing with just minimal rate, rate hikes. And like, we still have negative real interest rates. Inflation is at least 8%. Uh, the Fed has raised rates hardly at all compared to that level. And they, that's if you believe the government's CPI numbers, which I don't. <laughs> but you still have negative real interest rates, and yet Bitcoin's collapsing, right? So um, what does that tell you? It tells me, and I've, I've believed this for a while now, that Bitcoin is um, Bitcoin can only exist uh, to the extent that we have cheap money. We have the Fed printing money. We have low interest rates because it's a non-productive activity. And what's so funny is I was listening to the Noted podcast today with Bitstein and Pierre, and um, they basically admitted this. They basically said, you know, raising interest rates is not good for Bitcoin. And we wish they had, you know, we wish the Fed hadn't have done this. Well, wait, so... But, but the whole reason why Bitcoin is supposed to exist is that you don't like the Fed printing money, that you don't like loose money, right? That you don't like cheap money, that you don't like these artificially low interest rates and inflation. Yet you're telling me when the Fed starts to do, you know, the right thing or a little bit of the right thing, at least, you know, a small step in the right direction, uh, you're telling me that you don't like this, Right. And so they're admitting something, even if they won't admit it to themselves, they love the money printer. You know, they have this meme, money printer go burr. They secretly love it. Like, so Bitcoin is supposed to combat this, right? Bitcoin is supposed to be hard money, right? In their eyes. No, I don't believe this, but Bitcoin is supposed to be hard money in their eyes. It's supposed to be against the Fed. They're supposed to be against the Fed and what the Fed's doing, printing money. But yet when the Fed starts to do the right thing to counteract you know, their bad policies, the Bitcoiners get upset and they kind of like, oh, I wish the Fed wouldn't have raised rates. That's an admission that Bitcoin only can survive in an inflationary environment, right? Bitcoin can only survive in an inflationary environment. Why is that? Because it's non-productive. Because when the Fed inflates the dollar, when they print more, they basically are creating new money, right, out of thin air, because it's not backed by anything. It's just a new issuance in this 
um, reduces the purchasing power of everybody who holds, you know, existing dollars. And whoever gets this new money is getting something for nothing, right? So, so, and then they're able to buy things in the market, right? With these dollars, uh, without contributing anything real, like real, that's real wealth, right? But they're able to then trade these dollars for something real in the economy. And this goes and it bids up prices. So no one likes inflation or, you know, newly printed dollars because someone gets these dollars and somebody has an advantage. They get to spend these first in the market, bid up prices for everybody else, and everybody else is more poor because they have to then spend more money to purchase their food or their house or their their car, whatever they want to buy. But but somebody else basically got to use these new created dollars. They were just printed printed right out of nothing, and bid up these these assets. So, uh. But Bitcoin is the same thing, right? Because Bitcoin is nothing. Bitcoin is created out of thin air. It doesn't represent real wealth. And so uh, the, when Bitcoin, a new block, you know, there's, ever, there's a new block in Bitcoin, the blockchain, every 10 minutes. And every 10 minutes, new Bitcoin pops into existence. And technically, some miner gets this new issue of Bitcoin. And they get to uh, basically this new Bitcoin um, issuance acts the same way as new dollars coming into the market. Um, it reduces the purchasing power in theory of, of the current holders of this asset um, because they're diluted. So what's going on is you have Bitcoin itself is inflating, but it's not just the new issuance of, of newly created Bitcoin that hurts the existing holders of Bitcoin. The entire thing is a fraud because Bitcoin itself doesn't represent anything, right? It just, it just think of it as it just magically got this, this dollar value, right? It just magically started trading. It has some dollar price, right? Throw a dart on the board. It could be, it could be at any price, but the fraud is the con is, and the Bitcoiners don't even realize this is that when they go to sell this Bitcoin for something real, in the real economy, they're trading nothing, which is Bitcoin, for something, which is whatever they can buy with their Bitcoin. A new house, a boat, car, food, clothes, TVs, whatever it is that they're buying. Um, you could even say, now I'm saying basically that they're, they're trading these Bitcoin for dollars, right? And then they go buy things in the real economy. But the con is, is they're, they're able to create these new Bitcoins and these Bitcoins don't really represent anything. They don't represent anything real. They're not something anybody really wants. They're something that people only want to the extent it has a dollar price because you know that you can trade these dollars and get something real in the economy. But technically, you know, this is economics, but if you have something... Um, and you want to trade it for something else, you, you think that, you know, they're on par, they should be about the same. So if you trade dollars for a good, those dollars are accepted because those dollars can be used to go buy something else for that person. Um, Bitcoin is acting like that uh, right now, right? But so the dollar used to be backed by gold. It used to be backed by something real. And the purchasing power sort of comes from that. I realize it's not backed by by that now, right? 
but people remember that 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 it was backed once by gold and that's why it's still accepted technically today that's a theory i've i've heard from from this economist named frank shostak which i kind of i kind of believe but maybe it could be proved wrong uh, but I realized that, that the dollar doesn't have anything really backing it. It's just this fiat currency. But at least it's legal tender. We have to pay our taxes in it. People, and it's the general medium of exchange. So you, can, you can't argue with that. That Bitcoin right now is considered money because people use it daily, right? It's the common medium of exchange. Bitcoin is not. Nothing is priced in Bitcoin. It's just some asset that's priced in dollars that people only accept right now because they can they know that they can exchange it for dollars but the problem is the same so if you don't like the dollar though if you don't like new issuance of new currency the dollar coming into existence because that's unbacked and it's just created and somebody gets this and then they get to go bid up stuff in the market if the bitcoiners don't like that they shouldn't like bitcoin because bitcoin is nothing too bitcoin is just like the dollar and that whoever gets new bitcoin or any of the bitcoins because there's people that got the Bitcoin basically for free, you know, 10 years ago when mining was like really, really easy and Bitcoin was basically free. They gave out Bitcoin through these things called faucets. Basically, they were giving these things away. And today people are paying 20 grand for them. You know, and three months ago, people were paying close to 70 grand for this thing that was created out of nothing that represents nothing. You know, and 10 years ago was given away for free. You're going to spend 70 grand three months ago on something that was given away for free, you know, 10 years ago, that's insane to me. And the Bitcoiners fundamentally don't understand that Bitcoin is created out of of thin air, uh, even though they pretend like mining or real work goes into the creation of it, it's artificially tied. It it doesn't actually produce the Bitcoin. It's just part of the protocol. But uh, even so, it doesn't give the Bitcoin value. Nope. You, you spend energy to create this Bitcoin. This energy is not stored in any way. Um, it's just some stupid game or some stupid protocol that you have to do in order to mine the Bitcoin to get the new issuance of Bitcoin today. But this process was virtually free. Even though you had to mine Bitcoin 10 years ago, it costs virtually nothing. So it's created out of thin air. And so if the Bitcoiners don't like the dollar being created out of thin air and being traded for real goods and services in the real economy, They shouldn't like Bitcoin being created out of thin air and traded for real goods and services in the economy. So Bitcoin is a non-productive asset because nobody really can do anything with the Bitcoin. It has no utility other than giving it to somebody else, which doesn't count. Uh, So when Bitcoiners trade their Bitcoin for real products and the real economy, things that we all want and need, like a house, a car, food, whatever, they're basically... Uh, stealing from wealth generators or, or claiming some wealth while not producing anything at all themselves. So they're not, they're not being productive. They're not helping the economy. They're not, you know, producing something that we all want and need a, a good or service. They're basically just saying, Hey, I got some Bitcoins and they're trading at this price. And now I want to buy a house with my winnings. So, they're non-productive. It's a non-productive activity. And not only is it non-productive, but um, it sucks in uh, people that would otherwise be mining, you know, uh, oil or gas, right? It sucks them in to mine Bitcoin because Bitcoin has this trading price. And so some oil producers have said, well, it's, you know, the Biden administration has made it so hard. I'm not going to be in the oil industry anymore. I'm just going to, uh, 
<laughs> or whatever. I don't, but so some oil, some oil um, producers, I don't know who this guy was, but he was basically in the fossil fuels business and he decided to go just mine Bitcoin, you know, so, or he decided to divert the gas that he might've been extracting, I should say. And instead of selling the gas to people who might want it to like, you know, heat their homes or whatever you do with natural gas, um, he was just deciding, I'll just mine Bitcoin with this. So what is this? This is a misallocation of resources. This is a diversion of something like gas that was produced by some, you know, I could, I'd call him a wealth generator because he was being productive. He was producing something that we all need and want, energy in the form of natural gas. And he decided, I'm not going to sell this into the market. I'm going to use it. I'm going to produce it for myself to mine Bitcoin because he thought, I guess, like he could make more money uh, doing that. So that's a misallocation of resources whenever this bubble activity, which is Bitcoin mining or Bitcoin or crypto, um, attracts, you know, resources or capital or people, right? People have quit their jobs to go into Bitcoin or go into crypto. Uh, this is a pull, right? This is a pull into this non-productive activity, uh, but it can, but these people are being pulled into this sector only, only because the price was going up. Now that the price is going down and, you know, who knows, maybe it'll go back, back up. Um, we'll see. <laughs> I think it's kind of doubtful, but we'll see. Uh, um, now that the price is going down, people are, are not going to be interested in this, this area anymore. And it can only keep going up if, uh, because it's non-productive, it doesn't actually produce real returns. So how can Bitcoin keep going up? Uh, the Bitcoiners are right to think that the Fed needs to keep printing because they realize deep down that's the only way Bitcoin can keep rising. So they either need to get more dollars into Bitcoin or fake dollars through stablecoin, and they, they can print these stablecoins that also act like a dollar, fraudulently, I should say. But they need to either get more real dollars, more fake dollars, or more people, right? This is the fraud part, is that they they need to attract more people. And I think the bubble itself attracts people for this industry on its own. And that itself is not fraud because the if you look at how a bubble is created, it's created through the expansion of the money supply. And then, you know, these these people again getting new fiat dollars, bidding up some asset, and then it, it, it attracts more people to this, this industry and it, people keep bidding it up. But it's not a productive activity. But on top of this bubble that attracts most people to Bitcoin and crypto is all the fraud. Because you have to have a way to explain to people why they should even be in Bitcoin or what Bitcoin even is. And when people try to explain this in the Bitcoin industry, they flat out lie. They flat out misrepresent. Like if they not if they're not lying, or they don't think they're lying, they're definitely misrepresenting what Bitcoin is, what it can be, to induce people to buy. They they have to keep getting people in because again, it's a non-productive activity. If it was productive, um, you would be into Bitcoin, and it would just somehow magically it would be creating profits. But there's no real business called Bitcoin. There's just individual people selling it to you. So there's no way for Bitcoin to go up unless more people are coming in, right, bidding it up. So um, so anyways, that was a long rant there. Uh, we'll see. Let's talk about the Loomis bill. So this is the Loomis Gillibrand Senate. There's 
two senators, uh, one's a Democrat, one's a Republican, they want to pass this comprehensive Bitcoin bill, crypto bill. And they introduced it at this conference last week called Consensus, um, right before then. Uh, right before, you know, th- this was like, so the end of Consensus was when Bitcoin really started to start crashing here in slow motion, it seems like. Uh, do they have any hope of probably passing it? Not, probably not. Although, to be fair, you know, when Loomis and, and Gillibrand were speaking about this bill, they said it probably would take 18 months to get it done. If that, um, so we'll see. I mean, can Bitcoin turn around in 18 months? I kind of doubt it personally, uh, but I don't want to make any kind of price prediction here. <laughs> but I think the bill won't pass as it stands. And I think it's really telling that you have a Democrat here that signed on to this bill. And um, this bill basically <laughs> allows crypto people not to have to pay to pay any taxes on their crypto winnings at all. Uh, so I think that that's crazy that a Democrat uh, was, was going for this. Um, it's just, I mean, they carve out special privileges for their own asset. And uh, I don't get that. I mean, no one likes to pay taxes, right? But um, I don't think it's fair to like lobby senators if you're a Bitcoiner and carve out special special privileges that say you don't have to pay taxes on your particular asset, but everybody else does. Um, so they do this through through uh, language about staking rewards and about mining rewards, basically the new issuance of these tokens about how they don't want to tax you when you get them and treat them as income, right? They want to only tax you when you sell them. So this is just an abomination of the tax code is ridiculous. Uh, and they also don't want to tax people who spend like $200 or less of any kind of crypto. But, uh, you know, in my mind, this can be gamed, right? So um, they don't say what products you have to buy. You could be buying other crypto. Uh, and they're trying to squeeze this in as, oh, well, Bitcoin is a currency and, and we want it to act like a currency and this, this idea that you have to pay taxes every time you sell Bitcoin, it hinders this usage as a currency. But Bitcoin isn't a currency until uh, it's a unit of account, until things are being actually priced in Bitcoin, until Bitcoin is, uh, until we see merchants actually accepting the Bitcoin, pricing their things in Bitcoin, accepting the Bitcoin and not immediately, you know, getting the dollar, <laughs> selling this for dollars. Until we see that, Bitcoin is no currency. They just want it to be a currency. They hope it will be a currency, but it's never going to be a currency because it's it's volatile, right? We just saw it collapse um, 30% in like a week. <laughs> and it's down like 70% from its highs, you know, earlier this year. So um, this thing isn't stable. And to be a money, right, to be a currency... It needs to be stable and it can't, it can't do that. It's just because it's not, it's not backed by anything. Right. And it's not a real commodity. It doesn't have a relationship to other commodities, right? Because it's not a commodity itself. It has no price history with real commodities because it's not one. And it's only been around 10 years. Uh, it's based off just supply and demand when anybody's, you know, mood is that day. There's large whales in this thing that can manipulate the price. Um, 
this thing's never going to be stable. I mean, they talk about adoption. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Um, so it's not the fact that people have to pay taxes. That's not why it's not stable. That's not why it's not being used as a currency. And the idea that people talk about how it's a currency right now and are trying to lobby these senators to pass these bills, right, to get rid of taxes is just a cover, right? They just don't want to have to pay taxes on their crypto. But think about that. You know, we have huge deficits. You know, everyone's being crushed by inflation. Inflation is another type of tax. But then you also have regular taxes on top of that. And most people have to pay them. Like if you have a normal job, you got to pay income tax. But these Bitcoin bros, they have the gall, right, to basically like try to lobby this these senators to try to get out of their tax liability. You know, and a lot of these people have made millions of dollars, some billions, and they have the nerve to basically try to weasel their way out of taxes, to basically tell somebody with a job, yeah, you go pay your 50% in taxes or whatever it is, you go pay your taxes, I'm not going to have to pay any even though I've made millions of dollars. How does that, how is that going to sit with the general public? In my opinion, not well. And when the Democrat voter base realizes that Senator Gillibrand, right, who's a Democrat senator from New York, signed on to this bill. I mean, are they going to call for this lady's head? I, I hope so. I mean, I would think they would, right? Get your lady in line here. You're supposed to be a Democrat. You're not supposed to be giving you know, tax exemptions to an entire industry that's based off of fraud, Ponzi schemes and lies. And, and, um, you know, basically it's non-productive. I call this, I call this industry non-productive all the time. And I think it gives capitalism a bad name. None of, none of the crypto industry, what's going on in this industry is the definition of capitalism because capitalism means it doesn't mean defrauding people. Capitalism sometimes gets a bad rap because people think, well, these greedy corporations, right, greedy people who just want to make profits for themselves, uh, they don't care about other people. Well, they do want to make profits, but it's illegal to make profits by defrauding somebody else. And a lot of what happens in crypto is fraud, right? A lot of what happens is fraud. I mean, I actually explain most of what happens in crypto, the phenomena, as bubble-related activity, which you, the, only, the only people that you can blame for the bubble um, in asset prices, in my opinion, just the bubble itself is the Federal Reserve because they're the ones printing money. But on top of that, you have the fraud, and that's pervasive in the crypto industry, Bitcoin included. Uh, so capitalism is about lifting living standards, lifting of living standards by people being productive, people being free to act right with their environment to create products and services that people need. Um, but in a voluntary uh, way, right through persuasion. Yes. But, um, but not through lies, right? Not through forcing people to, work for you or, 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 um, and a lot of people get hung up on that. So let's not go down that rabbit hole, but, uh, you can't defraud someone and call it capitalism because that's theft, right? So capitalism respects property rights for sure, right? That's the basis of capitalism is that we have private property and, um, 
we we can sell our labor and uh, we can produce things with our mind or um, we can buy things and create goods and services, right, and sell them into the market to willing buyers, uh, right? But we can't lie about what our products do or what they are. Um, and if, if we lie about something that we create and sell uh, and somebody buys it based on those lies, uh, they can sue us for fraud. And that's not considered a legitimate transaction. And the basis of capitalism, most what most people believe about capitalism is that it allows people to be innovative, creative, um, uh, produce something valuable that people really want and need uh, and be rewarded for that. If you create you know, a great product or service, people will want it, right? And people will, will pay you for that and you'll get to collect um, you know, something extra on top of that because you're not going to sell it for lower than what you, uh, uh, it costs you to make, right? So, and you'll be rewarded by having lots of customers if you provide a good uh, service. But this this idea that your people only are going to buy this from you if it lifts up their own lives, like if it if it's good for them, you know, you only buy a cell phone if you think that you um, gain from that, from having a cell phone. So nobody would call that fraud. The you know, you bought yourself from some, from someone, uh, it increases your your living standard. I think most people would say yes, it does. It's expensive, perhaps yes, but I mean, it, it lifts everybody's living standard who buys one. Um, but with Bitcoin and crypto, no one's living standard is being uh, lifted by these activities other than somebody who gets lucky, buys Bitcoin at a low price and then is able to sell it to somebody else for a higher price. Now, I'm not talking about that. Right. That's that's an obvious thing here. But all you're doing is profiting off of that spread. Uh, your life isn't being um but you know, you, you, your living standard isn't, isn't being lifted by the Bitcoin itself. It's being lifted by the fact that you were able to get an early turnaround and sell that Bitcoin for a higher price. But that's not capitalism because capitalism is um, about being productive, right? About generating wealth, about lifting living standards. And all that Bitcoin or crypto does is, is uh, a wealth transfer, is if you get in early to some crypto and you're able to sell it to somebody down the line at a higher price, you've participated in a wealth transfer activity or you've benefited based off somebody just paying a higher price for some crypto asset. Uh, but that's not capitalism, in my opinion. And a lot of people will look at this industry and say something like, well, I'm, you know, I'm envious. I wish you would have gotten in earlier. And yes, that's true. And I think they have every right to be envious because I think they intuitively understand that something about this isn't right. And they're onto something. They are right. And I, I don't think that anybody who got rich in crypto technically deserves to keep their profits. Um, and I think, you know, to the, I don't think everybody in crypto committed fraud because some people were just, you know, riding the coattails of some other pumper and just sort of got in early, got lucky, threw some money at it, and then profited. Now, I'm not saying those people committed fraud, but there were people in the Bernie Bernie Madoff scam who actually did profit, right? There were people who lost, but there were people who profited because Bernie, Bernie uh, Madoff needed to have evidence of people making money. And so some people actually did make money, but there was, um, I, there was a court case recently. Uh, well, I don't know if it's recently, but I came across it recently where some people who profited had to actually pay, had to give it all back, right? 
some people actually had to give up these profits because they weren't legitimate from the court's perspective. And they wanted to try to help the people who lost money in the Bernie Madoff scam, right? So who knows if that'll happen in crypto? I, I tend to think it won't because I tend to think there's so many people involved in crypto and some people have made some money and some people haven't, but it's almost impossible to tell who those people are. With with a centralized Ponzi like Bernie Madoff scam, they pretty much knew like, who gave him money, right? Who who he paid out, who he didn't. Um, it was a lot easier to track. With Bitcoin or crypto, the innovation here is that you have a decentralized type Ponzi-like thing going on, where and it's it's not completely like a Ponzi, and people get hung up on the definition here, but um, what you have is lots of little individuals who are able to run the same code, right? Because it's a protocol, sell whatever they have that's Bitcoin or whatever crypto asset that they that they have. They're basically like each person is running their own Ponzi in a way, but not really, because they're they're riding off the coattails of this general asset that looks like a commodity, although in my opinion it's not, but it looks like a commodity because it's fungible, right? So somebody could be pumping it across the world technically and you could benefit from that because you're all technically sort of selling the same asset. Even though what you sell, right? If you're selling something to someone and it's based off of a lie that somebody else said across the world, are you responsible? For, for that person buying it from you directly, you know, you're technically not taking their money in a way a Ponzi artist would, would you know, typically you'd think of Bernie Madoff solicited funds, right? So he got people to give him money and they expected a return on this money. When someone, when someone buys your Bitcoin from you, they don't expect a return from you. They expect to sell this thing that they have, right, it's an asset that they hold in their hands, they expect to sell this to on the market because there's exchanges. So Bernie Madoff didn't have an exchange where anybody could come to and, and start trading, you know, their interest in his Ponzi scheme. But what we have what we see with crypto and Bitcoin is that there these things are tradable. So you can get in on the scheme and and then sell it to someone else, right? You don't you can buy it from someone and then sell it to someone else because there's all these, you know, exchanges. And you can also rely on somebody else's pumping of Bitcoin, but you'll benefit from that even if you don't say anything about it because you're all trading the same thing. <laughs> so it's incredibly um, difficult to compare to a Ponzi scheme, uh, but it's got Ponzi-like dynamics, which is the most important thing, I think. Uh, I don't, I'm not going to call it directly a Ponzi scheme because I know it doesn't fit the definition of Ponzi, but what is a Ponzi? It's basically fraud because you, uh, it's a type of fraud um, because the Ponzi perpetrator is, is telling someone to invest with them and they're lying about what they're doing with the money. They're lying about either being able to generate a return or you know, they're lying about what they're doing to create the return, right? So it's not so much about that future people are coming in and that that's how they're being paid out. I realize that's how the, the common definition of what a Ponzi scheme is right now uh, is that you're, you know, old people are paid by future people coming in. But that's not what's important about the Ponzi scheme.
What's important as a conceptual thing to understand is that these things can't last because of it, because uh, they're, they're, um, they're not really investments, right? They're, they're just being um, sold as investments, but they're not real because they don't actually, they can't actually generate a return. They can't generate a return. So they're, um, uh, I wouldn't classify them as investments, but they're being sold as investments. Uh, and because it's non-productive, it requires more people coming in, right? Because the Ponzi actor is siphoning some off usually for himself, or he's not able to generate the returns that he's promised. So it's not a real investment right? He's lying about what he's doing. And that's the fraud part. That's the most important part is that um, you invest with this guy because you think, because he's telling you something, but he ends up doing something else. He ends up just taking some off the table for himself uh, or not doing the activity in which he said he was going to do to generate the return or trying to cover up and lie, maybe some, some losses or something. Uh, But he's, he's lying and it's not a legitimate investment. Um, because it doesn't generate a return. Uh, so if you're relying, whatever mechanism you have, in his case, he was relying on more people coming into the scam, uh, and, and not that many people withdrawing, right? He got in trouble when the crash happened in 08, Bernie, Bernie Madoff, people wanted to withdraw. Well, that, what does that look like to you? To me, that looks like hodl, right? Hodl, hodl in Bitcoin. Don't sell. Right. So if people all try to get out of Bitcoin, it collapses. The price collapses, just like what Bernie Madoff. If people wanted to cash out, he didn't have enough there because it wasn't generating returns. Right. And he was taking a lot of a lot for himself. He didn't have enough to to give to everybody. And it blew up. Right. He just sort of, you know, he actually just I think he just came clean himself. He's like, okay, yeah, I don't have enough money to to give everybody what they what they think they have it was just on paper right and if you look at the bitcoin price today and a lot of people will say i've got you know 10 bitcoin okay here's the price it's how much i have total but they haven't tried to cash out this is just a paper number this is like bernie madoff giving you a statement that you have right so you've invested with bernie for five years and you're doing so well on paper and so you don't want to cash out, right? You just, you want to hold it. You're like, yeah, this is here. You just trust the guy. But then when, when it goes the other way and everyone's trying to get out, you realize it's not there. And this is the same with Bitcoin. And I've made this point before that a lot of the Bitcoin price, um, well, so the problem is, is that we have Bitcoin USD pair. So a Bitcoin dollar pair, right? But we also have Bitcoin tether pair. Bitcoin USDC pair, Bitcoin Ethereum pair or ETH. We have Bitcoin, I don't know, XRP, if that's still trading pair. We have Bitcoin Uniswap pair. We have everything in Bitcoin. And in my opinion, all of these crypto assets, you know, they're all created out of thin air. And to the extent that other people who get like XRP for free or Ethereum for very low price or whatever crypto token you can think of, to the extent that all of these pairs are traded on all of these exchanges, what does that do? It inflates the price of Bitcoin because everyone who has gets 
you know, the sell token, Celsius token for free, say, you know, Mashinsky probably got a lot of it for free. He goes and he buys Bitcoin with it. Or he, he, you know, he swaps to Tether. There's some kind of price. And then he goes and buys Bitcoin. What does that do? It inflates the price of Bitcoin. So it's really deceptive, in my opinion, for an exchange to even list the dollar price of Bitcoin, because not only are they mixing that with dollar-based stable coins, because you have these stable coins that trade big, you know, uh, trade as a pair with Bitcoin, and they I've heard statistics, I don't know if this is right, but up to 70% of Bitcoin trading um, isn't just US dollars, it's actually tether. So the 70% of all Bitcoin trading is supposedly the, the Bitcoin Tether pair across you know the globe, I suppose. Maybe that's not accurate. That's what I've heard in the past. Um, what does that do? What inflates the price of Bitcoin? And it's dishonest to for an exchange, even like a Coinbase, to say that you have um, Bitcoin trading at you know this price, this this whatever price it's at, twenty thousand or whatever it is now, um, USD, when really um, what's supporting that is all of these other assets and all these other altcoins that support the price of Bitcoin, especially especially these stable coins that. I know are created out of thin air because they tether says themselves that they lend their own token. And that doesn't make sense to me. If they, if they were going to lend anything, it'd be lending dollars because when they create a tether, they take in a dollar from somebody who buys the tether, the tether goes out of their, out of their balance sheet, the dollar comes in. So the only thing they have to lend is a dollar to lend a tether. They'd have to go back into that market right? Buy that tether back with a real dollar and then lend out that tether. Does that make sense to anybody? No. Do I think that they do that with, with all their tethers? No. Like they're going to take real dollars for their tethers anytime they can get it. But I do think they have preferred partners and they have said themselves that they lend tether to the likes of, you know, like I know that they've done it to Celsius because Alex Masinski, uh was on a podcast <laughs> where he admitted it, right? That he's gotten a Tether loan. And I think he got that Tether loan for an IOU. Now, some people say that this Tether loan was supported by some kind of over-collateralized Bitcoin. Uh, that might be the case in some instances, but I pretty much guarantee you they've been creating Tether out of thin air for some special clients of theirs, right? That helped them maintain the peg, maybe some exchanges like FTX or whatever, some market makers, who knows? But they have special relationships, right, with some people that they give Tether for free to, essentially. And that's also analogous to the Fed printing new dollars out of thin air and people benefiting by being able to use those first into the market. So the exact same mechanism happens in the crypto world. <laughs> they benefit from not only Fed-created new money, but also their own internal, you know, stablecoin uh, products that are just created in the beauty of stable coins is that if you can get the market to believe in your peg, you've basically created money out of thin air. Like, and that's better than creating any kind of free floating um, crypto, in my opinion, from the standpoint of you, you basically hit the jackpot. Cause if you make the market believe that all of your tethers that you control and create are, are pegged to a dollar, uh, which they've been able to do, you can virtually print money, right. And people will accept it as a dollar. And, and what bugs me is not everybody can um, redeem it, Tether. You have to be a special customer of theirs, which they limit, right? So not every person is treated the same with these stable coins. 
Um, and I think that would, that's going to be a big regulatory hurdle, and it doesn't seem to bother the, the, the lobbyists right now. But until we see like another blow up of a stable coin, like a, a dollar back stable coin, one where you can actually redeem, um, there's going to be a problem because certain people have privileges in redemption. Certain people can redeem at the actual issuer of this dollar-backed stablecoin. In my opinion, that is completely unfair. Everyone else is at the mercy of a Kraken, a Coinbase, right, of an exchange in their country that lets you trade, you know, stablecoin products like Tether or USDC for real dollars. But um, so if you're banned from them or if, like, they go down because there's a lot of people trying to sell at one time or if the peg breaks there, you're kind of out of luck. Uh, and the big players, the people that um, can actually redeem, have special relationships with these uh, stablecoin issuers, they are they have an advantage over you. So they're going to be getting out first and everybody else. You know, they're, they're, I, I tend to think maybe not that many retail people are holding stablecoins, I, I think. Maybe I'm wrong, you know. I mean, the use case is technically that they're stable, you know, until they're not. So, you know, if you're in Bitcoin and you just you want to get out, get something stable, you, you might trade for stable coins. Um, but I think most people who are in stable coins are on DEXs, on these DeFi protocols, right, where, the, where you can't get a real dollar there. You need you need a you need something that acts like a dollar that is also in the crypto ERC20 token format. So the people that are holding this stuff probably um, know more about what they're doing. They're not people that just have a, a Coinbase account, but, um, you know, are trading on these DEXs or have, you know, are invested in these little liquidity pools or, you know, farming activities, these different DAOs. I would consider them maybe um, more maybe uh, technically um, proficient, but maybe they, maybe they, uh, maybe they know the risks you know, that they're holding stable coins. Maybe they don't. I don't know. But um, it's probably not somebody who just like opened an account at Coinbase and has never touched, um, you know, never withdrawn, withdrawn uh, any of these DeFi like tokens or, or traded on, you know, one of these smart contract DeFi De- DEXs type products. But that doesn't mean that they can't lose money and it doesn't mean that they're big players, right? So they're still going to be at a, at a disadvantage, but hopefully they get more, they understand more of the risks they're taking. So, um, anybody, any, anybody have any, uh, questions or challenges or, or thoughts or, um, differences of opinion or, uh, anything to add? They are welcome to, to call in and ask a question or challenge me or bring up a point. Um, I haven't checked, uh, I haven't checked the price of Bitcoin. I can't, even though I called this a Bitcoin watch party, but um, it's probably about the same, same point. Well, if, if nobody wants to uh, call in here, if nobody has anything to add or, or say or, uh, or uh, a challenge, <clears throat> then I might just close it off here. So, because I can't think of anything else to say right now. 
and uh, my voice is kind of going. <laughs> Need to drink some water. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> All right. Thanks.